0: The Holy Gospel of our Lord Jesus Christ, according to Matthew. Glory to you, Lord Christ. When the Pharisees heard that Jesus had silenced the Sadducees, they gathered together, and one of them, a lawyer, asked him a question to test him. Teacher, which commandment in the law is the greatest? He said to him, You shall love the Lord your God with all your heart, and with all your soul, and with all your mind. This is the greatest and first commandment, and a second is like it. You shall love your neighbor as yourself. On these two commandments hang all the law and the prophets. Now while the Pharisees were gathered together, Jesus asked them this question, What do you think of the Messiah? Whose son is he? They said to him, The son of David. He said to them, how is it then that David, by the Spirit, calls him Lord, saying, The Lord said to my Lord, Sit at my right hand until I put your enemies under your feet. If David thus calls him Lord, how can he be his son? No one was able to give him an answer, nor from that day did anyone dare to ask him any more questions. The Gospel of the Lord. Praise to you,
1: This weekend, we held our annual diocesan convention at Grace Cathedral, and the focus this year was on women in ministry, particularly women's ordination, and our guest uh, speaker and preacher was none other than Bishop Barbara Harris, who was the first woman ever consecrated bishop in the Anglican Communion it's happened within my lifetime. She was elected and consecrated in the late 80s under threat of death. She received regular death threats in the lead-up to her consecration, and she was advised to wear a bulletproof vest during the service, something she refused to do which gives you an insight into her character. Now, almost 90 years old, Bishop Harris is still as sharp and as feisty as ever. And she was interviewed by Stephanie Martin Taylor. Some of you may recognize that name from KQED. She's now the communications officer for the diocese before the whole assembled convention just yesterday. You can see the whole video for yourself online. It's a beautiful conversation about what inspired Barbara Harris to do what she did to be a pioneer, the first. And it's always dangerous to be the first in just about anything. I think she would say she didn't set out to become a bishop. She just answered a call to leadership in the church. But when she was asked to trace what inspired her, she went back to some early experiences she had. Now, you have to understand that Bishop Harris, even before she became a bishop, was a voice for the marginalized in the church, for marginalized groups that in her day, it was not popular to talk about. In fact, it was quite controversial to speak about them, groups that as we've brought into the church have caused further division in the church. In fact, when Bishop Harris herself was consecrated, there was another little schism in the Episcopal church, another little group brought off, broke off because it was just a bridge too far for them to have a woman elected bishop. So what inspired her? What inspired her, she said, was actually being part of the civil rights era back in the 1960s. And like so many clergy at that time, she joined the march from Selma to Montgomery. And she came with a group of clergy from Pennsylvania, where she was serving at the time, to be in that last leg as it entered Montgomery. And she has a handful of images that still remain very vivid to her from that experience. One of them I want to lift up to you today because it struck me. As they were entering Montgomery, she said there were people lining the roads of the protest some of them young families with babes in arm, and they were shouting invective and hateful things at the marchers as they came in. But Barbara Harris noted that they saved their worst invective for a group of Roman Catholic nuns who were in the march, and they accused them of all kinds of unspeakable things the nuns, for their part, responded by blowing kisses. Which sounds to us rather quaint and cute, except that Barbara Harris said that action in and of itself silenced the protesters and they hung their heads in shame. They hung their heads in shame. the response of those faithful religious in that moment with the gospel that they had so embodied was a response of radical love to radical invective and radical hatred. And it changed everything. For Barbara Harris now, Over 50 years later, she remembers that image as an inspiration for a life of being on the edge for the sake of those who are marginalized in the church. Being on that edge, not to be controversial or partisan or even for her own ego, but being on that edge. For the sake of love. For the sake of love. Today's gospel reading is the capstone of a whole series of conversations that Jesus has been having with religious authorities in this part of Matthew. Now scholars will debate until the end of time just precisely who the Pharisees were and who the Sadducees were and what they held publicly and privately and as a group in the first century. The true answer is we may never know exactly. But I want to put on a slightly different interpretive hat today and invite you to use your imaginations Imagine that this story is being shared for the first time not with people living around 30 A.D., but Matthew's first audience, likely a Jewish Christian community, sometime around 70 or 80 A.D. perhaps. They might have heard this not as a tale of partisans in the past, but actually a tale about their own religious proclivities and hang-ups and their own groups in that little community somewhere on the eastern side of the Mediterranean towards the end of the first century, learning to hear again, or perhaps for the first time, this story of the teaching of the man whom they have adopted as not just the founder of their tradition, but as the bringer of God's witness. This man, they say, who has conquered death, even, and still lives among us. And in that sense, I want you to use your imagination and think about the Pharisees and the Sadducees as with us even today, in our midst In ourselves. In ourselves. They represent all of the ways that we have decided to compromise and negotiate with God when it comes to that fundamental commandment to love. To love. One of the ways that we've compromised that is we've romanticized that in our culture, we've made it cute. We've made it sexual. We have made it something that we put up in the movies and make a lot of money over. We have romanticized it to the point where it becomes a commodity like everything else. When Jesus delivered this fundamental teaching to his first followers, He was not the only Jew in the first century to talk about love of God above all else, nor was he the only Jew in the first century to lift up that other part of the Torah which talks about love your neighbor as yourself, but he may have been the only teacher who put the two together, who made them inexorably intertwined, who made the point that you cannot love God fully unless you love your neighbor as yourself. And you cannot love your neighbor as yourself unless you love God fully. And you cannot love yourself until you love your neighbor. And you cannot love your neighbor until you love yourself. Are you getting the picture yet? Jesus gave us this teaching not because it's simple, but because it is the hardest thing in all the Torah. And he gave us this teaching so that we could then go back and interpret the whole story anew. Because the story is filled with all kinds of division and warfare and violence and strife and domination, some of which is even attributed to God. But Jesus says, no, you go back and you look again and you look at it through this lens, this lens of love. But immediately the negotiations begin. How much do I have to love God, really? 5%? 10%? That's what the scripture says, the tithe, right? I should love God 10%. And that would be good enough. I should only give this much of my life to the life of love. The rest of it, I will live in the world and behave like the world does, competing, exercising power, dominion, participating in all of the partisan ways the church and the world operates. No, Jesus says, everything, everything has to be given over to God. God. And if you aren't struggling with that, you haven't been listening yet. We all are called to struggle with that. Oh yes, how much do I have to love my neighbor? How much? How much do I have to love my neighbor when they're arguing about what color I'm gonna paint my fence? Or where the property line is? This is tough stuff, right? Even for us living 20 centuries later in Marin County, loving our neighbor is not an easy thing. I don't know about you, loving myself is pretty hard too when it comes right down to it. I'm my own worst critic. That compromise is immediately depicted in the Gospels. Luke picks it up. If you remember, when Jesus offers this teaching... Immediately, one of the lawyers comes back at him and says, but who's my neighbor? Do you remember Jesus' response to that? He tells the story of the Good Samaritan. Remember? We are always trying to wriggle out. Like the Pharisees, as they're depicted by Matthew, We want to have control, so what do we do? Well, we invent all kinds of rituals to distract us from this calling rather than to draw us into this calling. We get upset in our tradition over bad liturgy, and we would much prefer to fight over that rather than fight over the things of substance. Just yesterday, we had a laugh, Actually, it was Friday. We had a laugh at diocesan convention because a faithful priest of the diocese stood up and said, well, we have some extra time towards the end of today. Why can't we move consideration of one of our resolutions for tomorrow to today so we can get done early? So in the time that that was intended to save, we debated whether or not we were actually going to move that resolution. It was, you might call, a parliamentary moment. And I don't know who has the greater sense of humor, either Robert's Rules or God, God's Self, right? But it was an ironic moment, and it was a classic Pharisaical moment in that biblical sense of the word. We would much rather debate over whether we're going to save time and to actually talk about the substantive things that are before us. Sometimes we are like the Sadducees. We would much rather talk about angels dancing on the heads of points of pins and the institution than the weightier matters of compassion and hearing the voices of the marginalized in our midst and out there on our streets. Or we can be like the Herodians, of whom we know so little. We can only speculate about who they were, but the only sense we get is that they were partisans of some kind, throwing in their hats with the political powers of the day, ready to sell out everything to maintain that power how often we have felt called to compromise our love for God and our love for neighbor, or even said we are loving God, when really behind that we are saying we love power and influence and control over our own lives, if nothing else. This is the capstone for Matthew's passing on the teaching of Jesus to that community late in the first century that was wrestling with its own identity and purpose and wondering what happens in a time of rapid change. And it is Jesus teaching us today in the early part of the 21st century, wondering why we are here and who we are about in a time of uncertainty and change. The good news, the good news, is that the way has already been prepared. Just as it was for God's people, wandering in the wilderness where they were going to end up, and wandering with Moses wandering to find themselves until at last they did. They had an identity, and they were standing on the threshold of a land that was promised to be theirs. And Moses had done what he had come to do. The way was prepared. For us, as Christians, we say the way is prepared not just in words, not just in prayers, but in our action as we come forward and receive the broken bread and the common cup. We say we take this way into us, even though we don't follow it completely yet. Because the good news for us is, is that our God loves us so much that even if we give over 10%, 15% of our lives to God, God will say, I will meet you the rest of the way. I will be there with you. In fact, we say in our communion, I am in you anyway. Loving you into being. So my brothers and sisters in Christ, are we prepared to blow kisses? Not to be cute, but to be subversive of everything that stands over and against the love that God calls us into. To follow in the ways of Barbara Harris and all those who have come before us to open doors and cross the boundaries that have so divided us for so long and to show us the people that we have not seen yet, to hear the voices we have not heard, to find ourselves neighbors with people we didn't even know were our neighbors and to help love them into being. Are we ready to blow kisses and shame the powers of this world so that they, too, may turn to the God of love? And when that happens, to be part of a kingdom that is unfolding, even now, as I say these words. To you. Thank you for listening to this sermon podcast from the Episcopal Church of Our Savior, Mill Valley, California. We are a growing community welcoming those seeking to deepen their relationship with God and to journey in faith with God's people through the breaking of bread and in service to others in Christ's name. You may reach us by phone at 415-388-1907, search for us online, or visit our website at oursaviormillvalley.org. We wish you God's peace. We hope to greet you in person very soon.